Well, good morning. You guys having a good morning so far? Sorry to ruin it for you, but um, so we'll go from here. Um, It's been a great series and an exciting time for us to look at being sifted and what that means and how we can grow in that, and um, and it's just been a good time for me personally, and I'm going to share a little bit about that in a little bit um, later, but uh, yesterday was a good day for me. I had the opportunity to explore and to enjoy all that Florida has to offer. You know, I've lived here for the better part of the last 17 years, and, um, and the, the sand has gotten between my toes, my blood has thinned out, and I love it. And one of the things I love about being in Florida is, you know, it snowed in parts of the country yesterday, and I felt bad for them as I was on the beach hanging out. And then I really felt bad for them after I got to play around to golf in the afternoon. I mean, it was just one of those days where it's like, I love living in Florida. And yesterday, while well, we were at the beach, and it was me with the girls and, um, and Amy, and we were all there having a good time and everything. And, and one of the things they like to do is to pick up shells and to collect shells. And we have shells everywhere in the house. And it's a great thing now that they're at this age. When they were a little younger, they thought they were tasty treats, and that didn't work out really well. Um, but it's nice to be able to go out and collect shells and to do that. And so what I did is I brought, you know, a handful of the shells that they may have collected yesterday, and these are some that I collected and some that they collected. And what I thought was interesting is they don't like to be in the water and be bent down as the waves are coming up. You know, they're, they're at that age where they go out to where the water's receded, and as soon as it comes up, they run back. Well, all the shells are right there at the edge. You know, if, you, if you've ever been to Lake Worth Beach, it's right there, right where the drop-off is, and that's where all the shells congregate. But it's right in the middle of where all the waves crash up, and so they don't like to necessarily do that. And to pick them up one at a time, one at a time is really challenging. And so what I did was, is I, I got Grace to go back up to the, to, the, to the umbrella and to get this little orange plastic thing. And so what we got to do at that point was, is that we would dip this into the sand, and then what do you do once you have that? Oh, you guys even actually jumped right to the word. You sift it, you shake it, and you watch all the sand and all the mud and all the dirt and everything else go through. Now, understand that this is a child's toy and it's not really effective, but you understand the point of as you do this and as you shake it and as you begin to to, to move it around, you see where all of the sand starts to pour out. You see, the goal in all of this, the goal is to find a shell. The goal is to be able to walk away and say, look at this. We can put it in a jar. We can look at it. It's a nice centerpiece. It adds to the house. The goal is to get something beautiful, but you have to get rid of all the garbage and all the dirt and all the mud. And the only way you can do that is if the shells are tossed around, if they're thrown around, if they're beat up a little bit, and you allow all the dirt and everything else to get over it, pass through it, so now you can walk away and you have a nice shell. You see, being sifted spiritually and personally is kind of like that. You have to go through the, the nastiness and the dirtiness and the awfulness. You have to go through the pain and the separation so that all the garbage separates out. So that what's left is your faith and your journey and your walk. What you present to others about what you believe about God, that's what's left. And ultimately, God's desire is to produce you as something beautiful for others to see. But you can't just do it on its own. It has to be sifted first. And so as we're talking about being sifted, as we've looked at this and as we've kind of tried to uncover what it means to be sifted and what it looks like to be sifted, today we're going to conclude our series as we look at what happens next. 
But before we jump in what happens next, let's just do a quick run through as to some of the things I know that I've marked and I've written down and I've walked away with over the last of the couple of weeks. The first thing is, is that the goal in sifting is to grow through the trials and the disappointments and the challenges. Another thing about sifting that I've walked away with this week is that, or, or the last couple of weeks is that God allows the sifting to happen. In a little bit, we're going to see a passage of Scripture where Jesus gives permission for sifting to happen. You see, God allows it to happen. That means that God is in control of every situation in your life. Another thing about sifting is this, is that there's a purpose behind it. It's not just some random thing that's going to take place, but that God is really working something through us because he wants to do something in us first. God has a purpose behind all of this. And last week we heard, I don't know, how, I, I just, it just resonated with me so well, is that sometimes we have to learn that Jesus is all we have until Jesus is all we've got. When he's the only thing that's left, that's when it becomes most evident to us that he is all we have and that he is all we need. And as the springboard for this series, as we've been looking at being sifted, we've been looking at a passage of Scripture. And if you have a Bible or electronic device, I want to encourage you to turn to the Gospel according to St. Luke, the Gospel according to Luke. And we're going to be looking at a passage in Luke chapter 22. And in this particular story, we're headed into the, the week, the, the final week of Jesus' life, sometimes called the Passion Week. And it's Thursday night, and they're in the upper room, and he's with the disciples, and he's washed the disciples' feet, and they're talking. And what's interesting is that the disciples get into an argument over who's the best and who's the greatest and who's number one and all these different things. And Jesus basically says it doesn't matter, and he kind of does some teaching things. And Peter kind of gets filled up with himself, and he begins to talk about all these great things. And, and Jesus basically says, look, you need to hold on because I want to teach you something, and I want to show you something. And in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, notice what Jesus says to Simon Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus tells him in advance, look, you're going to be sifted. Satan has asked for permission, and I have granted it. You're going to go through this in your life. You see, in our lives, there are going to be seasons and times of sifting. Sometimes it's going to be a little shorter than others. Sometimes it's going to be more painful than others. There's going to be different challenges and different disappointments. There's going to be different trials that come along. Different people will be involved. But there are going to be seasons of sifting in our lives. I've heard this said about, you know, the, the, the first thing that people want to do when they get in the hospital. You know what the first thing people do when they want to get in the hospital? They want to get out. True story. I know. Been there. The first thing people want to do when they start being sifted is to be done being sifted. How do you get to a place where you can experience a breakthrough in your sifting? What do you do when you need a breakthrough? with all of the trials and all of the challenges and all of the disappointments that create sifting in your life. You see, the crux of the matter comes down to this, is when you need a breakthrough, you have a choice you have to make. The choice is this. Are you going to stay and continue in the midst of the circumstances, or are you going to go and quit? Are you going to stay and continue, or are you going to go and quit? Are you going to leave everything behind and move on to something else, or are you going to plod right through? Now, I want to say this as we get started, and understand this and hear this, that quitting is not automatically the wrong answer. 
Sometimes quitting and walking away and moving on is absolutely 100% the right answer. You see, our goal today is not to determine whether or not you should leave or you should go, or whether you should leave or whether you should stay. The goal is not to to determine whether or not you should um, go or continue. The goal today is to try to get to the right choice. There's not necessarily one that is better than the other, but the right one is the one we want to pursue. Sometimes staying is the right answer. Sometimes leaving is the right answer. The goal isn't to determine and to convince you that every single time you've got to stay through it and every single time you've got to quit. The goal is to get to the right choice. In the midst of the sifting of our lives, we are faced with a choice, and we need to make the right choice. This is kind of personal to me as I've um, been through some sifting in recent months. Some of you may know a little bit of this story. Some of you may not. Um, I'm here today as a member of the staff team uh, by God's grace and by God's provision and by God's, um, you know, just intervention in my life. Um, About... um, See, a little over six months ago, um, last July, I was serving as lead pastor of a church in the area and um, had gone away on a little bit of a sabbatical. Had come back from the sabbatical, and in my first day in the office, um, one of the leaders of the church came to me and said, hey, just so you know, there's a gathering of the leaders of the church to determine whether or not you're going to be allowed to stay. Wow. Welcome back from vacation, right? The next couple of weeks learned that there were meetings and several meetings and different things that happened and came to the realization that um, that there was a group of people who felt like that that my leadership was not what that particular church needed at that particular time. Um, And so I began to go through the process of understanding and and, and really realizing that um, that there were a lot, there's a lot of stuff happening that I had no idea was going on. And what's interesting is that when it all came down, there were people that that I can tell you that, that I absolutely loved and absolutely admired and respected. People that, were, um, that would look me dead in the eyes on a Sunday morning and tell me how much they loved me were working behind my back to get me out of there. There were people that, that loved me and to this day would still say, we love you, you're just not very good at what you do. Appreciate that. I wish you'd love me a little less. Um, but it was in the midst of that time, in the midst of that season, not really knowing what's going on is when, when I began to understand that this is a part of what God wanted to do. Um, I was angry. I was bitter. I was frustrated. Um, quite frankly, it, it, there was a season where I was unforgiving towards some of these people. Um, it's just really hard. It's hard to go through when people betray you and people do things to you. And then series of circumstances came to the conclusion that it was time for me to move on. And God miraculously provided um, an opportunity for me to be here and be a part of that, be a part of this staff and what God's doing here. First couple of weeks on the job here, Dr. Ray hands out a book called Sifted. And as I'm going through the book and I'm reading, I'm realizing, I just got sifted. I didn't even know it, but I just got sifted. And I didn't know whether to celebrate or cry, but regardless... I came to the conclusion that that what God had done in me was really for his purpose. It wasn't about that church, and it's really not even about PBCC. And it's really, to be honest, not even about Brent. It's about God and what he wants to do to write his story for his glory. And so as I began to go through this book, Sifted, as I began to look at it and examine it, I realized that there were some truths that I needed to learn in my life so that one day I can help somebody else 
when they're going through their own sifting season. And so today, I'm going to present to you four things that you can do when you need a breakthrough in the midst of sifting. Four things that you can do to get to a place where you make the right choice. Whatever the right choice is, we want to get you to a place where you're making the right choice. And the first thing that you can do, the first step you can do is to leave it behind. Leave it behind. Now, you may be saying, well, what is it actually, what, what exactly do you mean when you say leave it behind? Well, consider the words of Jesus when he taught on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. Jesus, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying this, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And when he says poor in spirit, he's basically saying, Jesus blesses those who empty themselves of everything they have. When I say leave it behind, I'm basically saying this. Don't come to God with all the answers. Don't come to God and ask God, hey, what do you think I should do? And then every time God kind of speaks to you, you're like, yeah, no, that won't work. You know that person, right? You have that friend in your life who comes and asks you for advice all the time. And you say, well, if I were you, this is what I would do. And they look at you and say, yeah, no, uh-uh. And you're thinking, why do you keep asking me if every time you ask me, you say that I'm giving you bad advice? Stop asking me or start doing what I tell you to do. We do the same thing to God. We go to God with our own experience, our own knowledge, our own wisdom, and we say, okay, God, I'm coming to you for the answers, but you just need to know I already have it figured out. You need to get on my page. The first thing when you do is leave it behind. Forget your experience. Forget your wisdom. Empty yourself of everything you think you should do and leave it behind. Come to God and admit, I don't know how to get through this. I don't know what the end is going to be. God, I just don't know. The second thing you do, as soon as you empty yourself and you leave it all behind, the second thing you do is take it in. The second thing you do is take it in. It's just like anything else. When you have a gas tank, when it empties out, what do you have to do? You have to fill it up. When you empty yourself of knowledge and wisdom and experience, you now have to turn around and fill it up. How are you going to do that? The writer of Hebrews in chapter 4 tells us this. He says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, for those of you that don't really understand what all that's saying, it basically says this. It says, look, the Bible is going to punch you in the face to get your attention. You see, take God's word and allow it to come into you, and it will divide that which is bad from that which is good. It will divide that which is edifying from that which tears down. When you are empty of yourself, you now need to be filled back up. And the writer of Hebrews says, there's no better way to be filled back up. There's no better way to cut through all the garbage than get into God's word. When you've, when you've decided that I'm not going to rely on, my, on myself, you can now lean into the word. You can now let the Bible study you and break you. You can let his word become the truth that fills you up. So the first thing is to leave it all behind. The second thing is to take it in. The third thing is this. Write it down. 
No, I'm not telling you to write it down. I'm telling you that's the point, is to write it down. Write it down. The Old Testament prophet Habakkuk was given a vision by God. And notice what God said to him when he said, I speak to you. He says this in Habakkuk 2. He says, the Lord answered me, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Now, when you think about the whole context, so he may run who reads it, it's talking about writing it big enough and loud enough and and, and visible enough that even if you're running, you're able to read it as it goes by. Write it down. How does it make you feel when somebody comes to you and maybe this is at work and they're, they're like, how do I solve this problem or how do I do this? And, and you say, well, here's what I would do if I were you. And they actually pull out paper or they pull out, you know, their phone or they, and, and they start taking notes. You know, that makes you feel like, hey, they're actually listening to me. They might actually apply what I'm saying. If they're willing to do that for you, shouldn't I be willing to do that for God? If God, the creator of the universe and the author and perfecter of my faith, the one and only king of the universe, is willing to speak to me through his word, should I not be humble enough to at least write down what he's telling me? We're talking about journaling. We're talking about being able to take that which God speaks to you and write it down. I used to work for a pastor um, going back 15 years, and he used to say this. He used to say, write it down. Because one day you'll doubt whether or not you ever heard it. And you can go back and say, yes, right here. I know this is how God spoke to me. We need to write it down. If God is willing to speak, if I've emptied myself and I'm taking in what he says, and if he's willing to speak, then I should be willing to write it down. The fourth thing that we need to do to get to the right choice is to move on out. To move on out. There's a story earlier in the life of Peter in which Peter is, is, you remember, Peter was a professional fisherman, and he's out on the sea, and he's been fishing all night. And from the seashore, Jesus comes to him. And notice what he says in Luke chapter 5 and verse 5. In Luke 5, 5, this is what Jesus says. He says, um, Jesus tells him to put the, the nets down on the other side of the boat. And, G, and blah. I speak for a living. And Simon says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. You see, there is an inexperienced carpenter on the seashore telling the professional fisherman out on the sea how to do his job. And Peter says, you know what? I'm going to take your word for it, and I'm going to let down the nets. And the story goes that the nets were so big that he couldn't pull it in, that they had to jump in, and somebody else came, and the nets started to rip. The point is this, is that when you come to hear what Jesus has to say, when you get into his word, when he speaks to you, when you write it down, you better do what he says to do. You better follow through with what he says. You see, Peter in that story could have said, Lord, we know that you're everything, but guess what? Leave it up to the experts to do this. We're just going to call it a day and come on up to shore. But instead, Peter says, look, I don't know why the fish would be on this side of the boat when they're not on this side of the boat. It seems like they would be able to swim under the boat, but I don't know. So I'm going to do what you say and drop the nets back down. And then he was blown away with what God chose to do. You see, we need to move. When God tells us to do something, we need to move. And a lot of times, just so, for, just so you know, delayed obedience is still disobedience. 
We need to be able to move out when God tells us to move. But in the midst of the sifting, it's hard for us. Sometimes we, we want to know what's the value of all this. We want to know why is this happening and, and what good can come from this and why are these things going on. If you get to the place where you empty yourself, you take in what God has, you write it down, you begin to move forward with what he tells you to do. Realize that there's one thing that's going to happen. And whatever happens, it's going to be good. Remember this, it's all good. It's all good. The pain, the suffering, the betrayal, the hurt, the questions, the doubt, the struggles, it's all good. The Apostle Paul wrote in a letter to the church at Rome, he says this, he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Regardless of the choice that God leads you to make, whether it's to stick it out or to move on to what's next, regardless of the choice that he says, if we do what he tells us to do, it's all good. That doesn't mean that the, that, that the pain is any less. It doesn't mean that the circumstance is any less harmful. It just means that in the end of it all, it's going to be good. Because God has said all things will work together for good. Some of you may be sitting there today and you may say, you know what, I've been through a sifting season and, and I, I, I didn't do as well as Peter did and I didn't grow and I didn't learn and quite frankly it set me back. Some of you may be here today and you say, you know what, I have failed at this part of my life. I have not handled the sifting in my life very well. It's okay. It happens. In fact, Peter kind of dropped the ball a little bit himself. You see, Peter, right after Jesus told him that he was going to be sifted, Peter went out and denied that he even knew who Jesus was. Three times in about a nine-hour period of time. Flat out said, I don't know who that guy is. Leave me alone. But what happened to Peter after that? What did Peter do after he had felt like he had failed in the midst of the circumstances, that maybe he didn't live up to the expectation, maybe he actually didn't follow like he should? A few days later, Peter, doing what he does best, which was to fish, was out on the boat. And Jesus shows up on the beach. And as, as he calls him back into shore and Peter comes running into the shore and comes down, there's an interaction between Jesus and Peter. If you're still in Luke, if you turn over one chapter to St. John and in John chapter 21, you see an exchange between Jesus and Peter in verses 15 through 17. And notice what Jesus says to Peter here in John chapter 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Notice a few things about this. Jesus never asked him about his failure. Jesus never asked him about his denial. Jesus never asked him about walking away. Jesus didn't focus on the failure. Jesus focused on his heart. 
He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me more than you love fishing? Do you love me more than you love these other disciples? Peter, do you love me? You see, even when we fail, Jesus cuts through all of that and goes to the heart of the matter and goes to our hearts and wants to know what is in our heart. And when he focuses on that heart, he turns to Peter and says, take care of my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. You see, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the one who a few weeks earlier had died on a cross and had been risen from the dead, looks at Peter and says, go back to what I told you to do at first and take care of my sheep. Go back to what you know to be truthful. Go back to what your original calling was. Go back to the reason that you gave up fishing in the first place and take care of my sheep. You see, you may be here today and you may be in a place where you have at least you feel like you have failed. But that's okay because Jesus looks through all of that and looks at the heart and says, go back to what I told you at first. So maybe you've been through a season of sifting, successful or not. Maybe, you've in the, maybe you're in the midst of sifting right now. Or if you haven't just come out of it, and if you're not in it right now, guess what? It's coming. But what do you do when you get out of it? What happens next? So what? So, so what do I do now? Now what? What do I do? This is what you do. You help others. Help others. You see, I believe that part of the circumstances that I went through was to enable me to be able to invest and mentor in other pastors who go through similar situations. Case in point, this past week, I had lunch with a pastor going through something similar, and I was able just to share my experience. If I had never gone through it, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Look at the example of Peter. What did Jesus tell him here on the beach? Feed my sheep. Go help others. If you look back in Luke chapter 22 and verse 32, the the very prophecy that Jesus gives and says, you're going to be sifted, at the end of it, he says, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. He tells him, when you've gone through this, go back and help the others. You think Peter learned his lesson? You think he grew in this and, and kind of developed into this? Read the words that Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter got it. He was able to write to another group of people and say, look, you all are being sifted. You all are going through various trials. Understand, it's going to pass. It's going to be okay. And in the midst of this, your faith will be made stronger. It will be refined, and you'll find joy. You'll find praise. You'll find Christ in the midst of all of it. You see, ultimately, I think that's what Peter learned is that in the midst of the sifting, that it came down to the fact that he wasn't going to be able to do it. He needed help, and he needed Jesus Christ. 
If there's one main thing I want you to walk away with today, it's this, is that no matter what you're going through, no matter what the sifting you're experiencing, it's this, Jesus is our rescue. Jesus is our rescue. When you empty yourself, you go to his word. When you take his word, you write it down, you apply it. He has become the life boat that you need. He has become everything and anything to be able to get through the sifting experience that you're going through. You see, Paul says all things work together for those who love God. That means that you love Christ, that you're putting your hope and your trust in him. You may be here today and you've never trusted Christ for salvation. You see, the reason that we talk about Easter and the reason that Easter is the Super Bowl and the reason that Easter is such a big deal, the reason that Easter changes everything is because Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He is God. He's the Son of God. He was crucified. Why? Not because he did anything wrong, but to be able to take my sin away to be able to take your sin away. He took it to the cross and he died. He was placed in a borrowed tomb and Easter changes everything because on that morning, the first day of the week, the tomb was empty. Jesus had defeated death. He had defeated sin. He had defeated the world. He walked out of there as a victor that whoever places their faith and their hope and their trust in him can have eternal life. And if you're, ne- if you're here today and you've never made that choice or crossed that line of faith to believe that, I challenge you today to ask Christ to come into your life. Maybe you're here today and you've done that and, and you would find yourself in the category as, of one who loves God and one who's called according to his purpose. Then remember this, the sifting you're going through, it's going to be okay. It's all good because God promises that to be the case. In the midst of our sifting, we need to rely upon Jesus as our rescue. Would you pray with me right now? With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, I just want to give you an opportunity right now to be able to call upon God, to be able to get to a place where you understand your need for Christ to be saved, that your faith might be placed in him, that you might be able to to understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe if you're here today and you want to cross that line of faith, just pray something simple like, God, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And I ask you to save me. Come into my life. Maybe you're here today. And you know that to be true, and you've placed your faith in him in the past, but you're in the midst of sifting. I just want you to take some time to call upon Jesus as your rescue. To call upon him as the only one who can get you through. I want you to just begin to pray and to call upon him and to get to the place where you're asking him to be your source, your strength, and the one who gets you through. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I pray that you would teach me, that you would show me 
what I need to do to get a breakthrough through my sifting. God, I pray that you would just speak to my heart and speak truth into my life. God, I pray that you would be my source of rescue, that you would see me through, that you would help me to grow in the midst of the trials and the challenges and the disappointments. And that, God, you would help me to understand that you're in control of all of this and that it all works together for good. God, please be my rescue. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The last couple of weeks, we've been singing a song called Rescue. And um, when I first heard it, um, I was like, wow, if, if, if we could just have a five-minute church service, I would just play that song and we would be done. And as the band makes their way back up here, oh, you're already up here. Hi. As the band makes their way up here to begin um, to get ready, I want this song just to be your response this morning. I want this song just to be the cry of your heart. I want you to think about the words as you hear them, and I want this to be what you really long for in your life as you think about sifting, as you think about what it means to go through this process and go through this journey. If you would, just take time, and when you get comfortable to sing, and we'll let John lead through and what that looks like, but just consider the words as Jesus is our rescue.